My job today is facilitator. So I'm not here to teach. I'm here to facilitate a family chat. And so I will be bringing up, I'm going to have a little panel that comes up, but you are also members of this family, and I'm going to invite you to put up your hand, ask questions, tell stories whenever you want. Okay, so you're going to put up your hand and people are going to come running, diving over people to hand you a mic so that you can participate. So as the facilitator, I'm also here to warm you up and give you a little bit. Yes, that's right. I'm warming you up for this family chat. And as you know, we've been talking about moved. So I want to tell you a quick story about information. So about, I guess, do you remember when um, the Born Identity came out? It's like 2003-ish. Well, people on my street-ish, it was something like that. Anyway, so we, people on my street decided to get together and discuss the movie. And we're sitting there, all facing each other in the family room and in, this, in our neighbor's family room. And one of my neighbors says, I love the part where they're running through the hillside somewhere in Europe, and there's the guy who's chasing Jason Bourne, and Jason Bourne's coming up behind them. I think Liam Neeson was great as the evil guy in that, in that scene. And I was like, wait a second, that wasn't Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's really tall, that guy wasn't that tall, he was wearing a trench coat. It's Gerard Butler. And so we spent the next 15 minutes of this discussion arguing about details of this scene, and I was saying, no, it's Gerard Butler, this is why, blah, blah, blah. He was saying, no, it's Liam Neeson, he was Irish and all sorts of things. And everyone gathered together and argued, lobbing grenades at each other during this discussion. So that's what happened in a discussion. All the teenagers in the room were like, well, why didn't you do what? Google it. Because no one carried around little smartphones at that time, or very few people, because we felt they should be at home and we could have these mature conversations, right? But I did go home, and I did go on the World Wide Web and put in you know, who, characters in Born Identity. Well, we're both wrong, for those who wasn't. Clive Owen. Clive Owen. But now we have so, such easy access to information, right? I can put anything into this, and I get all this information. For example, I decided to Google information overload, and I got 85.3 million hits in 0.62 seconds. And then I thought, well, that's not, I'm, I'm here to warm up a family discussion at church, so maybe I should look up something slightly more holy. So I looked up English translations of the Bible. How many do you think there are? 450, really close. Yeah, 450. But as I'm looking at that page, I see, oh, there's all these other questions you could ask. Like, um, you know, what other languages is it translated to? And I thought, oh, look at all this information that's out there. And it made me realize I know so little. So then I put in the parables of Jesus, hoping I'd get a little bit, you know, insight. Like the first hit would be so good. But it came up with 14.4 hits in 0.42 seconds. That's how much information there was out there. And then it was guiding me to other questions like, what are the four, kind of, four kinds of parables? And I thought, oh, if I click on that, that's going to be another gazillion hits. And... And it's just so much information out there that's at our fingertips. And once we start digging, we realize there is so much more beneath that you know, iceberg. And who recognizes this page? Yes, okay. 
So for those of us who like to go a bit deeper into information, we might decide to be entertained by a TED Talk. So you get 19, approximately 19 minutes of a, someone who's deeply um, experienced and has deep expertise in a field talking about their research, and you go really deep into that topic. Now the problem is, same thing. I go on this page and I think, oh, I want to learn about activism, and I click on it and, you know, 300 19-minute videos come up. So much information. So much information. And one of the things that we, that the teaching team, so there's a, te a group of people who get together that talk about what's the next series and what, what are things that we should be considering, what questions should we be asking. And one of the reasons, we decided we were going to talk about parables, and we, one of the reasons we called it Moved is we thought, wait a second, there's so much information that we crave. We sit in church and we... We sit in church and we uh, want information delivered in really interesting ways. Sometimes we sit and we're critical, like, I've left church and gone, well, I've heard that before. But what do we do with the information? How does it move us and change us? So I just, I gave away my punchline here, but if you look at ages, we've got Stone Age, Bronze Age, Industrial Age, what age are we in? Information Age. Information, more information than ever before is storable, accessible, um, inputted every day. There's more information processed in one minute than an entire year in a previous century. That's a lot of information. I actually looked at a 1990 article by the UN on information, and in the 1990s there were already 10 billion web pages. So you can only imagine how many more there would be now. So we're here to talk about how can we be moved by this information that we're learning through the words of Jesus to his disciples. And because this is a family chat, and because you've been here week after week listening to the parables and listening to Doug and Craig talk about you know, their experience of the parables and what they know and sharing knowledge, we want to hear from you as well. How have you been moved by the parables? So I'm going to, with no further ado, I'm going to invite up our panelists, but remember, you're also a family member, and you get to be a panelist in this, too. So if we could call up Craig, Doug, and Lois. And you've got, we've got our mics down here. And much like a family discussion, it could get messy and confusing and cut people off and all of that. And that's okay. I love it when it gets ugly. <laughs> Craig wants it to get messy. No fist fights, though. Keep your hands to yourself. Okay. So before we get into the first parable, which I'll read to you just to remind you what, what it was, um, I just want to ask a very general question about what this series meant to you, so the, this idea of being moved. Lois? Yeah. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that maybe Doug had me at the line um, January 13th about... Um, you know, it's one thing when you don't really learn well when someone teaches you something. And so then he was declaring many sermons redundant or obsolete. <laughs> but what really matters is when you discover truth for yourself. That has kind of actually framed this whole thing for me, that parables invite me to discover. That's truth. great. Doug, Craig? Uh, to me, it's been the idea of Jesus wanting life change 
and transformation. So um, Ruth and I were away last week. We were suffering in a hot place in the world. And uh, vacation. Anyway, we, uh, so I was talking with someone at a table. And um, actually, it was cross-cultural because these people were from Quebec. And they were speaking French. And I was speaking broken French. But I found out that actually they're, they're believers in Christ in Montreal, in an evangelical church in Montreal. And she was talking about how closed people are in Quebec to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so when she found out that I was a, I had told her I was a pastor of a church and that launched us into this conversation. And then she asked me this question. She said, so are people in your church transforming? That's what she asked. That was her question. Mm-hmm. And, the, and her, so her question was, are people's lives really changed and transformed? And I said, well, yes, many are. And so, <laughs> and so then I told, she said, example. So I told her an example of somebody, you know. My French is great, eh? So um, <laughs> anyway, it was really quite wonderful. This was her heart. Do people change? Is there a transformation of life? Mm-hmm. And um, so, and that's what this is all about, right? Moved, changed, mm-hmm. transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this notion of being changed, I think, is, is the key thing. I love, I, I don't know how faith has gotten to be so heady, <laughs> but it, it's like it has. And if I go back to sort of what was it to be a disciple of Jesus, well, it was hanging around with him, learning from him, becoming like him. Those are the things I, I'd love to see us uh, more and more. I want to be an apprentice of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to be someone who kind of learns and is shaped by him. Um, long way to go, uh, but it's, it's just kind of an, in, an enjoyable journey. Like, th- like that is what the gospel is about transforming lives. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love this idea of moved. It's not about hearing and knowing and one more little bit of tidbit of fact, but the idea that um, somehow God is at work in me, changing me in some little, small, incremental way that only my wife sees. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on to that for a second. Right, so sure, I have a yes. question for you. So, and, and you're t- you were a teacher, right? Is that yeah? Okay. I, well, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking about th- this when you when you study how Jesus taught. He mm. primarily taught through stories. Mm-hmm. And or one of the most powerful moments in the Bible comes from yeah. him telling these stories or parables. Why do you think he chose storytelling? He's a master teacher. I mean, the word rabbi means my teacher, right? So um, I think even the business world is just kind of coming to grips with this. We learn and are shaped by stories. Mm-hmm. And, and what I love about Jesus' storytelling is that there's always these zingers at the end. You gotta, and, and, and we know them so well that sometimes we miss the zing. But this notion of when it gets to the end, it, it is that sort of mic drop sort of thing. That it's just, oh my goodness, he got me again, right? And so a part of hearing these things freshly is being able to hear the got me again sort mm-hmm. of thing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. And I thought when we went into the series, I thought parables. We, parables are something that we start listening to when we're in Sunday school. You know, we, we yeah. could probably, if someone names a title of a parable, we could say, oh, I know that one. Yeah. But Certainly, you brought new um, new angles, and but pushing us to apply it in our lives, which I thought was great. I think there's something about when you tell somebody a story, you it, it in a way it it 
takes the wind out of the sails of someone who's just gonna fight with you. Like when you, you suspend, suspend judgment a little bit, when, yeah. when someone initiates a story, you enter into that, which I think was perfect if you're trying to get at somebody's heart. Mm. Like I'm going to ask you to listen to the story and I'm setting the parameters yeah. <laughs> of the discussion. And of course, it's deceptively sim simple and yet so incredibly complex as we learned as we went through the series, mm -hmm. as we look at how different people, um, it, we look at the different actors, you could mm -hmm. say, in each story, it's Love forcing that. you to think if you want to go there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when you think of all the resistors Jesus is meeting, uh, it's a very subversive way of sort of getting at it. And uh, so anyway, it's, yeah. it was, it's, a cool, it's a cool medium. How do I get this mic back? Yeah, you can get, just hey, grab you know it what? away. I have one more thing to add on this yeah. thing. Like, when I was thinking about this and how all through the Bible, God wants changed lives more than heady knowledge. This is really fascinating to me. So after I finished my first four years at seminary, you know, I thought I knew a lot, honestly. I mean, that's just how deceived I was, right? <laughs> because there's just so much more. God is so much bigger than I than I had him in my box. And so I wanted to read this thing, if I may. Okay. You may. It's not a story. No. But this is from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I thought, what's the purpose of Scripture then? All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking. So if we're getting off the path, we need to be rebuked for correcting. That's to get us back on the path and for instruction in righteousness to keep us on the path. And I was thinking that's the purpose of the Bible. But it's really interesting. The next verse gives us the purpose of the Bible because it says, so that, does anybody know this? So the person of God, the man or woman of God, will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all the instruction, this doesn't demean the Bible at all. It gives us the real purpose of the Bible that our lives are changed and transformed and we're equipped for every good work so that when we go out, we're, we're, we're living the story of Jesus in our lives and we're, we're, we're making this difference in the world in the way we are and the way we speak and the way we depict, carry Jesus and his life out into the world. So anyway, that's my extra and I'll oh, give it back great. to Craig. That's now. great. No, no, I wasn't no, I no, you cannot read scripture on this stage. <laughs> wasn't in my agenda. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I'm going to actually, we're going to move to the parables now. I'm going to read it, and because you're a part of this discussion, as I read it, they already know what I'm reading. They've already got maybe answers, I don't know. But listen, and I want you to think about the parable and how it moved you over the past month, or what strikes you about this, or what new questions have come up. Please be bold and put up your hand, and someone will come running, as I said. Okay, so here is the first parable that we studied, which was the parable of the sower, from Luke 8, verses 4 to 8. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, says Jesus, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now it's interesting, when you read the message translation, 
um, before and before we dive into the parable, Jesus says, uh, shares the parable, asks his disciples in this message translation, are you listening to this? Really listening? So what do you think really listening means? And it can come from, you can shout it out or put up your hand. What does it mean to really listen? When Doug taught on this uh, parable, the, the piece that stayed with, or that really struck me was when he said um, something like this. Sorry, Doug, if I get it wrong. But essentially he said, this parable isn't about trying to determine at what point is a person saved, like what point is a person in or out of the kingdom. It's about, you know, where are you? On, which seat are you? And when he said that, I realized a lot of times what I do with this parable is use it as a trying to determine for this other person. Or is that person a Christian or are they not a Christian? Mm -hmm. And so when he said that, it, it, it occurred to me, this is about me. And so in answer to your question, it is hearing is about understanding where am I and where, which seed am I and, and how can I move from one to the other? Mm -hmm. How can I be transformed to become like the good seed or, yeah. the, or the seed that, that lands on the good soil? Yeah, I love that. For li Really listening for you is putting yourself into it, applying it to yourself. Isn't it easy to apply the Bible to other people? <laughs> Yes. And, and I love that, uh, um, you know, you also talked about how at various points in time you could be each of the soils, you know, and so it became this sort of mirror in a sense. So. Mm -hmm. what, what strikes you most or what moved you about this parable? Maybe one of you on stage can answer while someone puts up their hand out in Congress. We got... What, uh, one of the things that struck me about the parable was the hundred times more than was sown. And that freed me to think of what the goodness of God can do. Because we think if we really live as a church here in Halton and do, a, and do what God wants us to do, uh, I could picture five, five or six or even 10% growth. And I'm not talking about number of people showing up at church. I'm talking about actual growth. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to remember 70 times 7 and all this kind of, like, 100 times, which really means infinite. So it opened up the, the infiniteness of God's goodness to me. Wonderful. Thank you. That's great. What's, what moved you, panelists? I think for me, this has always been one of those parables that I read, and I'm kind of like, oh, you know, because you, re you do, you, it's so real that you know that at any particular day, you might be soil one, or another day, you're, you're really in soil three. Um, and even though it isn't necessarily communicated directly in the parable itself, it's not hard to extrapolate from that, that there's a constant vigilance required to be the right kind of receptive soil that um, it, it's not like a fearful, I'm afraid that God's going to lose track of me. It's more that to, to be watchful and thankful, something Susan said in, in the video about the importance of prayer, I guess, 
I think about how do I keep my soul free of the weeds and so that the soil of my heart is open to hear God. How do I do that? Uh, and that whole sense of staying connected with God, the word, prayer, just little things that anchor me. I think about that. And, and I left your call kind of to the church. That was, I, I tend to be a little resistant to kind of those altar calls sort of things. It's, it's, it's me, I know. Um, yeah, yes. But it's, it's kind, it was kind of interesting just to kind of get this sort of binary response. Are you interested in being good soil? Yeah, I am. Like, you know, so why not declare that? Yeah, why not? You know, it, it was just, it was, that, it was the, the ballsiness of the question and just sort of the blatant sort of, are you or not? Yeah, I am. <laughs> you know, so I, I kind of just appreciated that and seeing a church that was sort of saying, yeah, this is what we want to be about. So. Right. The other crazy thing is the farmer is just so generous. Like he's just, the same yeah. seed is going into all these soils. Yeah. It's not the farmer. It's the soil. Nor is it the seed. <laughs> you know, Nor is it the it's, seed. It's, it's, the, it's God at work in doing this. Mm -hmm. That's great. We've got Pumi back there. Thanks. For me, I think when I looked at the parable, I saw my life and I saw the different stages of Christianity. I think when you get saved, you get this notion you're on fire and you keep going and you're going to do all these great things. And yes, you do. But then you kind of sometimes maybe fall off the track or slip. Or So I saw, I kind of, try to visualize my life and go back and say, you know, and, and relate to the different kinds of soils as, as a part of my journey as a Christian um, to say, yeah, I can kind of see that there and that there. And it, it, it made me kind of relatable, like not to be in this bubble, a Christian bubble, but to be humble. I, I got humbled to say, I can actually relate to all the different people out there because we are and we can, we do experience to be in to be any of those um, kind of souls or kind of different people or different stages. So it made me relatable and I can, you know, go and talk to a or, or somebody that needs help and actually step back and say, you know, um, and be in those shoes to say, yeah, I, I relate to you and I, I understand where you are. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Pumi. We have Athena over here. Yeah. I think it's more like soil preparation for me. Um, Fort took up some backyard farming uh, a number of years ago and uh, you know the first year he throws in some seed and we're all watching it waiting for something to grow and it, it does get choked out we didn't water enough we watered too much all these things happened and as the years went on he kept studying and he kept learning and he kept learning from other people and he started amending the soil with nutrients and making it organic and all that kind of stuff so as the years went on of course the crop really, you know, we, we've had really great crops in our backyard, in our little, you know, postage-sized lot. Um, so for me, it's a really um, a, a lesson of, um, of how is it that we prepare the soil, us as being the receptors. And it is. It's just being open to the Holy Spirit. It's really knowing the Word. If we don't know the Word, you know, we, we, we don't know the character of God. If we don't know the character of God, we won't be able to hear Him when He's trying to speak to us, when He's trying to to, to help us grow in an area or correct us or anything like that. So for me, soil preparation is just hanging mm. out with Jesus. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to add something, too, that struck me about this parable was 
that um, the far farmers care about the soil. They care deeply about the soil. And the soil is, requires that sort of gentle help of the farmer, of the sower, right? And so while we are saying you need to move, you need to act, there's also this open posture of, God, I need you to help me be good soil. I can't make myself good soil. I can do some of the things, you know, some of those disciplines, but I really need you in this process. Sorry, I'll cut you off. Oh, no, it's okay. Go on. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's move on to the next one. I'm, I'm conscious of, as a facilitator, I'm watching the time. So we're going to move on to the next one, which is actually a really short parable. And some debate it's not actually a parable at all. Um, but Jesus is, when, when Doug talked about this in, in his sermon, um, the parable of the, the debtors, the two debtors, um, he, he talked more about the context of where this happened and the woman who came up to Jesus. So if you recall that, we, we spoke quite a bit about that context and, and forgiveness. But this is the parable that he, he shares to the people in the room from Luke 7, verses 41 to 42. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? It's quite simple. Two verses, really powerful, poignant, as you can imagine, in that, um, in that context. So... So I'm going to ask you in a second, but I'll start with the, just generally, how, how were you moved or what struck you about this particular parable? Oh, I'm so in all over this one because I'm thinking Jesus is a really bad, or no, the father <laughs> is a really bad businessman. Like, and, and you see this recur in other parables when you think about, you know, that he leaves the 90 and nine and he goes after the one and people owe him exorbitant debts and he's not on it? Like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> so I, that really struck me because it was something that uh, we got on in the series about thinking about the different persons in the thing. And the father is such a father. Like, he's such a good father. Who is going to forgive you a huge debt but your father? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully, that's true. So I'm thinking, this is such a mind-blowing idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's definitely right. counter... Um, it's common sense, I guess. You, you know what? Say. Grace is irrational. It's totally irrational. And, That's and right. often when we're big on grace, people, like what struck me was people might say, you know what? You, you've got way too much grace over there. And you'd say that of Jesus. You got way too much grace. You should be down on this woman because she's a notorious sinner. And he's, you know what? It reminds me of the woman who's caught, caught in the act of adultery. Yeah. Do you remember that one? And the guys are up ready with the stones and they're ready to throw these stones and to stone her, and that's the old meaning of being stoned, not the current meaning of being stoned, right? And so, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the, the thing is that he's just full of grace with her, and he does not condone her behavior. And this is our fear, isn't it? we got to be harder and harsher and all this stuff because we don't want people to think we're condoning their sin. And Jesus doesn't. He says, go and sin no more. But he's filled with grace and mercy that almost looks irrational. It's way over the top, but that's how he is to all of us. Mm -hmm. So for, if I could see how his grace is so huge towards me, 
then I'd love him that much. I want to love him that much. Yeah. Uh, I, it was, we had a great little time at the back, t back corner. This was, when, this was this week we had all those little table groups, right? Uh, and we were staggered by the notion of grace. That was, that was it for us. And so if I want to be a follower of Jesus, shaped, in, I mean, this has got to be part of uh, my life. Um, but I was also just taken on the gifts that this grace gave. So, of course, to the woman who was sort of anointing this sinful woman, it was kind of your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Peace was the last thing she'd ever kind of experienced. But I keep thinking about Simon, this kind of anal retentive kind of, you know, whatever you want to think about. I knew it would be colorful with you. Yeah, I know. I, it could have been worse. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, there, there he is, and he's got his, the forks are all nice and the, on the left side and the right side, and there's a dessert. You know, it's all perfect, and yet he is in this small-minded little world of rigidity and morality of keeping tabs, who's in, who's out, this exclusive, you know, the same thing we see in the prodigal son, or the good Samaritan too, right? Um, and Jesus, I think, is trying to open up his world. It's a gift to him as well. Grace is going to change your life around as well. So it's this gift to both people. Um, both needed it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that really strikes me here is, you know, when I'm honest with myself, I know of social situations where I folded to the popular opinion. When the majority is you know, mocking somebody else. I'm sure we can all think of situations that we now re have re deeply repented of. And when I think about how Jesus seems, he is completely comfortable with making everybody else uncomfortable. Bold. Very bold to, to say, I am for this woman. Same thing with the, the woman caught in adultery. Everybody else. That, that is such a formula for being an outcast of losing all your credibility as a minister. And I almost like to think, and I'm also for you, Simon, you know, I'm also especially fond of you, to use your phrase, you know, you, you need some help. You don't even know it, but you need some help. Yeah. And it, you know what I was thinking when Doug was describing the whole scene and you, you emphasize, and he turned to her speaking to the other people and from the perspective of the sinner who seems very aware of that she needs forgiveness, she's seen, right? Like he looks at her. He talks about her, he, then he speaks to her, and that is so powerful that even in the midst of all this um, rigmarole of being proper and everything, Jesus still sees us. And that I found a powerful image. Well, I, I thought too that this has something to do with the role of women too, Claire, and thinking that in that day, women were not, they were not seen, they were not meant to be visible or or actually to be significant. So think of the woman caught in adultery, but thinking of this woman here who comes walking into this social situation, but thinking of the woman with that issue of blood, you remember? And she snuck up and touched the edge of his garment. And, and Jesus, Jesus acknowledges her and, and looks at her. And just the beauty of Jesus reaching out to those who were not not really looked at as fully human, uh, you know, but he did. He, oh, he's wonderful. You got to love him. You got to love Jesus. You do. Yeah, that he's already for us before we've changed at all. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that is an idea to sit with. Yeah. Yes. Okay. In thinking about this, we often think 
we often worry about that we're not getting what we deserve. And I'm going to attribute this um, turning it on its end to Greg Paul, who said that we should be thankful that we actually don't get what we deserve. And so that it seems like it's the great leveling, so that the darkness of all our hearts that's there, we don't get what we deserve. So daily we walk out with that mercy that, sh that showered upon us. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that, so whenever I think about something like that, I feel like I'm one of those people that have been forgiven a lot. Thank you so much. Anyone else want to share how they were moved by this? So I think it's all of our desire to love God more. And here we see that if with some self-examine, if we explore how much our debt is, right? And just truly know ourselves and who we truly are. We realize how much we have been forgiven. And that helps uh, grow our love for God. And each other. Love that. And it grows our love for each other, as Craig was saying over here. Thanks. Okay, so we're going to go to, I won't say it's the meatiest of the parables, but it's certainly, prob it's probably, it's because you spoke on it, right, Craig? But the, it's, it's the most well-known, and it's the most well-known, I would say, in even secular contexts. We, we often use the term, the Good Samaritan. Um, and I think people use it, and they have no idea why they're using it. It's just a term they use. But I'll read it, I'll read it to you, and then we'll discuss it. So it's from Luke 10, verses 30 to 35. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, as Craig would say, denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Amen, dog. <laughs> so often, this is an often referenced parable. Um, and as I said, even in secular context, we hear it referenced. So I guess looking at it now, today, how did it move you? or How did this one strike you? So, so this one actually caught me by surprise because I did know this parable well, like many people. Um, and was kind of thinking same old, same old. Uh, it was the first time that I had seen, I had really reflected on the, the person lying at the side of the road and seeing in him um, Christ. <laughs> and uh, and, and that, that still has stayed with me, you know, uh, looking at other people and seeing, believing that Christ is at work in them. You just talk about grace you know it's just all of a sudden crisis at work in me crisis at work in them i can no longer walk up uh, bay street and look down at someone there or or any except for simply seeing mm -hmm. that person a christ in them you know um christ working in them christ uh, anyway so it's a, it's a very moving uh 
moving story that has moved me and continues to move me. One thing I wished I had said, I don't think I said as clearly as I wanted to, is, you know, it's, it's kind of like, how do you keep walking up Bay Street, Craig, and not really helping a whole ton of people, one person, you know, you talk to? Um, and, and I think, how are you not riddled with guilt? You know, and, and this is kind of where that, I, I think this lens of seeing Christ at work in everyone has kind of freed me from that a little bit because I can now look at people and trusting that God's working there, God's in there, and I can now smile at them without feeling guilty. I can nod at them. In fact, Billy has said to me, what, I, what is so nice, it's not even just people giving me money, though he likes that. <laughs> it's just stopping and noticing me, mm-hmm. nodding to me, saying hi. It's being noticed. It's, that, it's just like the woman, again, that you were talking about, right? So it's seeing Christ in them, and, and that frees you from all sorts of need to perform and be the savior of the world. <laughs> You're not. You simply get a chance to meet Christ in another person. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Craig. So the idea of meeting, the idea of meeting Christ in another person, just sort of theologically sounds odd to me. And yet that's what Jesus said. As often as you do it unto one of the least of these, you do it unto me. It's not that that person's Christ, but is it possible Christ is at work in that person? And that my, so I love the way you put that. This is just, it's sort of startling at first, and it says, you know what? God's at work all over the place. An interesting thing about actually going away for a while is you meet a whole bunch of new people you've never met before, and you find God's at work in a whole bunch of, like, really unexpected people and places. And so, like, every, like every engagement we have is a sacred engagement, and I think this helps me to see that. This is a point of learning and hopefully more action. Mm-hmm. And I think the other, the other thing, for one thing, raise your hand if you were blown away by the idea of Christ being the one bleeding on the side of the road. I'd never thought of it that way before, so that was really powerful. Um, I, I guess the other piece of this is the idea that Christ is in me as I am meeting somebody on the road. And I, when I, I don't know about you, but when I was a lot younger and very idealistic, I thought, I'm, gonna, I'm called to be a missionary. I'm going to go over there and help those people. <laughs> and then what's funny is, as, as life happens, and that particular uh, thing did not happen as, I, as we thought it was going to be, that the realization that, who is the next person in front of you, Lois? Like, just, who is that? And do you sense anything for that person? in this situation. So when I was walking with Amy a few months back ago uh, in, in Toronto, a nice day, we're walking, and yeah, we passed lots of people on the street. And sometimes I just did not feel comfortable. And then my eye caught this one woman. And that was the woman I talked to. And boy, we, we had this great conversation. Like, it was just a small thing. But I kind of felt like that's a start, you know? Mm. It was just a start. Yeah, I want to I add something because I think it's great and a very pronounced version of this when we see someone on the street. It's very much in parallel with the Good Samaritan. And, but this week I've been thinking a lot about the people that know a lot and have a lot and irritate me, and those people also have Christ in them. So there's, <laughs> this, this sounds, yeah. it's very honest of me, but <laughs> when I'm being, when I'm... I'm <laughs> not you, Lois. Um, so when, when I'm feeling a little frustrated with a person because of their approach to a situation or something that they've done that I think, well, that's not gracious, or, and I'm placing all this judgment on them, in those moments I'm blind to Christ in them. 
And this week I was thinking, I, there was someone that fit that category and I thought there's, Christ is working in this person as well. So it's not only the people on the street, it's everyone. Which, yeah. Did you want to add something, Greg? We're... Yeah, I, I love this idea. I mean, I was thinking about Muskrat Dam and, you, and the testimony there. You know, you're, if you get to know people, you will meet Christ. Like, it's kind of like if you can go deep enough, you will. Christ is, is there. Christ is at work, the sustainer of all things. So it's kind of cool. Uh, family, any, any, have you been moved in some way this week by this parable? Anything you want to share? I have this theory that if you wait long enough, someone will feel uncomfortable enough. An extrovert in the room will go, I'll answer, just because they hate the silence. But that's okay. I won't force you. All right. Well, so, yep, Doug? While you're going back there, I think there, there are people who appear to be down and out, but there are a lot of people who appear to be up and out as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who appear to have everything together need, need Jesus and need are relating with them, and, and so to find Jesus there at work as well. So, As I thought of this parable, um, just sitting here now, I was reminded of, well, something was brought to mind that happened back leading up to uh, year 2000, or just after year 2000. I was in a situation where... Uh, for the first time in my working career as an IT professional, I found myself out of a job with a mortgage to pay, family to support, and I was stressed. I was out for a walk with a Christian brother just in our neighborhood, and we stopped at a, uh, a well-known coffee shop, drinking coffee late in the night, just chit-chatting. And it was just the two of us in the coffee shop, as well as the security guard and um, the server. And uh, all of a sudden, the rumble of a heavy vehicle disrupted the sound or, or the quietness of the, the moment. Lo and behold, a uh, Oakville bus came across the parking lot of, a, of Lakeshore Plaza and the bus driver got out, escorted a blind man out, put him in a seat, said, I'm sorry, I'm out of service, sorry I can't help you. And he was saying, well, I need to get to Hamilton and the buses have stopped, how am I going to get home? And as I thought about this, there was the security guard and the person in the uh, coffee shop, they said, well, well, we'll see if we can phone the taxi company and see if they'll give you a ride. And they said, sorry, we're too busy, go away. Which was an offense to me. And uh, we, we left the coffee shop and I'm thinking, that poor guy, I hope he gets home tonight safely. As we're walking north, the Lord brought the words that was already spoken. Whatever you do for the least of me, these you do, for, do unto me. And I said to my friend, we have to go back. He says, well, what are you going to do? I didn't tell him. I said, call the, cat, the taxi company and ask them how much it would cost as a flat rate fee up front to get this guy where he needs to get to in Hamilton. And uh, the taxi driver arrived and he said the amount. I had the exact amount in my wallet, so I gave it to him. And my friend thought, that's a lot of money as we're walking away from that. And, uh, but yet, we all encounter situations at different points in time that are probably similar to the Good Samaritan. Maybe not quite the same. He wasn't injured, but he needed a way to get home. And um, 
how often do we miss the opportunity to help someone in their, their time of need? Mm -hmm. The guy said, um, he's so thankful, he said, I'm thankful to Tim Hortons. My friend said, piped up and said, no, it's not Tim Hortons that did it. And he says, well, who do I thank? He says, well, thank the Lord. God answered, provided this for you through my friend here. And the guy just didn't know what to say. And we parted company. I don't know what impact it had on this guy's life or whether he was a believer or not. But he was a person in need. And we're walking away from that. My friend said, that's a lot of money. And I said, you know, you know even though I've gone through some stuff I'm still in the midst of, God has taught me some things that it's only money. You know, it's not for us to pile up and keep. He wants us to use it to help meet the needs of those around us that are suffering. And how often do we miss those opportunities because we're blind to them? We don't, ourselves, we don't notice it or we think, oh, that poor person, I hope they, things work out for them. When we have the power to act and do something. Mm -hmm. And this parable of the Good Samaritan just makes me think of that. Like this guy, the Good Samaritan, he went above and beyond helping this guy in his time of need. And he was looked down upon by the, uh, the Israelites. And, uh, but yet, yeah, he was the guy that helped this Jewish man in his time of need. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Um, we're going we're gonna to bring this to... Oh, we've got Heather um, over here, and that will be our last family member to, well, actually, I'm going to ask you guys to close in a second. I think for me, it was interesting just what you chose as a title, moved. Moved is an action word. It's a, a motion word. It's a moving forward, something that you do. And I think in all these parables, if you look, every single one of them required an action by somebody to move somebody else forward. So the money lender, by forgiving that debt, allowed those people to move forward in their life. The Good Samaritan allowed this man to move forward in his life because he provided something for him to, to make him well. Mm -hmm. And I think what God allows us to do with these parables is understand that we need to move. We need to have action. We need to do something in order to be able to um, even receive the gift that he's given us. Our action is saying, yes, I believe in you, and I believe what Jesus did for me at the cross. This is an action. It's, it's something you have to do. It's free. He's not asking you to pay for it. He's not asking you to do anything other than say, yes, I believe. So I think these parables all speak to the fact that we, as individuals, need to provide movement, and we need to act. And by acting, we move forward and become closer and, and realize the fact that what God wants us to do in being more like him is, in fact, acting like Christ. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Heather. Great final comment from the congregation. I just in 10 seconds each just we're summing this all up with, now as a church, we, we've heard all this. Again, we've had all this information and we've had stories from different people. What do we do with this now? How do we, how do we apply this learning? Where, where do we go from here? Grace in action is hospitality, generosity, and shalom in action. 
what he said. He stole my line too. Wow. Okay. So that it ends with me. I, I think Cole, um, uh, Doug's going to lead us into a time of communion. But what I want to say to you is what struck me as everybody was talking is that there was this moment of listening and then stopping, reflecting, thinking about it, thinking about it during the week so that we don't just walk away and go, well, that was so edifying. I feel great. And then you just, we're human beings. We go back into our pattern of habits. So this idea of stopping and reflecting and applying as much as we can is really what I would love for you to take away so that we are truly moved by what we hear.